You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, a podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening again. Don't forget, you can help out the show by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, you can do so. Also, I invite you to join us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the show at Digging Oak Island. Today is our last podcast before the new season of The Curse of Oak Island hits the airwaves. So we're going to do something of a preview of the new season here for this show. We have a bunch of your emails to answer and to talk about. Thank you so much for sending those in. But I want to start today's podcast by just touching briefly on the stuff the History Channel has already released, teasers and clips and that kind of thing. Uh, Now, last year, we really dove deep into the trailers and all this kind of stuff. We really picked them apart. But I've decided I'm not going to do that this year. Here is the honest truth. They can be largely meaningless and often extremely frustrating if what you're looking for is some kind of insight into what might actually happen on the show. And last year was probably the worst offender of this. It was always a little sketchy, but last year it really went over the top with just misleading us, I think. Remember, there was that famous shot of a silhouette of some huge, whatever it was, being pulled by a crane out of a deep pit in last year's trailer. I spent literally hours and hours looking at that shot over and over again, trying to get some idea of what the heck it might be, only to never see even a glimpse of what this was on an episode. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. I know I've belly ached about this a lot, especially in the spring after the season was over, but it still gets me aggravated when I think about it. But with that being said, we can't completely ignore the trailers, now can we? Now, we really can't. I mean, we are an Oak Island podcast. So let us talk about the uh, one-minute sneak peek, as it was called, released in mid-October. What we can often glean from these are things like where on the island the team will be doing some of their work. So about eight seconds into the trailer, we see a shot of a large crane and excavator over what looks to be the edge of the swamp. This could be in connection to something the Swamp Doctor, Ian Spooner, says in the quote-unquote first look we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, We also see what looks like an archaeological dig being done. Don't recall who the guy was talking about it, but it wasn't Laird Niven. Uh, Interesting to see what and who that might be. Uh, And then we also see what appears to be some offshore sonar work being done by Alex Lagina and also Dr. Spooner aboard what I believe is Tony Sampson's pontoon boat. A short time later, we even see some underwater metal detecting being done by someone who certainly at least sounds like Tony Sampson. Um, perhaps this work is related somehow to something James McQuiston mentioned towards the end of our interview we did last week on a podcast about some old salty dog treasure hunter character up there he met uh, who was claiming to have found a shipwreck. It's hard to say at this point. Just not enough information to go on. Maybe we can check back in with Mr. McQuiston later on in the season and see what he thinks when this scene makes it to the air, assuming it does. (laughs) We don't always know. There is a lot of fuss in the trailer made out of something they seem to have found, which looks to be called a quote-unquote Chinese cash coin, which someone says is a 11, 12, 1300 years old or even older. That's a quote there. Which, at least from the trailer, looks to have been pulled out of the spoils of some dig by Jack Begley, who found it on one of those sorting tables that they use. This is a great place to caution you again about these trailers. From a little bit we have to go by here, that seems to be the story around this artifact that seems to have been found. 
which looks like, how do I describe it? Sort of a gold piece shaped like a small hockey puck. Big chunk of gold, though. Uh, but again, you just never really know from these clips. It's impossible to say with any certainty. Remember, the point of these is to get potential viewers excited and tuning in. So exaggerating here is par for the course. Frustrating for sure, but to be expected. And finally, I'll mention two last things from this trailer. You can hear the voice of Corey and Mull, uh, who apparently on a video call to the war room, perhaps expanding on his theory. For those who don't remember, uh, Corey and Mull and a gentleman named Chris Morford were the two theorists who have been working on a theory that connects the money pit with a painting done by 17th century French painter Nicolas Poussin. Considering the challenges the COVID pandemic placed on the team, I'm expecting more such video theory sessions in the war room this season. I'm working now on getting Mr. Maul on the show to talk a little more about his theory, and uh, so stay tuned for that. And finally, we were all concerned throughout the early part of the summer for sure that perhaps Gary Drayton might not be able to make it to Oak Island for this year's dig due to the travel restrictions between the U.S. and Canada. But alas, it appears our favorite treasure hunter is indeed on the island and back at work. We see his smiling face a couple of times, including once where we see him in a very Gary-esque fashion <laughs> declaring, we found pirate treasure, mate. I won't try the accent. I'll spare you that. So that's pretty much it for the sneak peek teaser trailer. Now let's turn our attention to what the History Channel calls a first look. This is when they air the first six minutes or so of an upcoming episode for the following week. This one aired this past Tuesday night along with some reruns they were showing from last season. It is, I guess, just a sort of thing they do here, these first looks. Not sure why they do these, but anyway, they've been doing it for quite some time now, and it gives us a little more to talk about here. But I have to say this, folks, spoiler alert. Truth be told, I usually don't watch these uh, during the normal course of the season because I really don't want any of the new episode to be spoiled for me. Uh, so I understand you might not as well. But I did watch this one uh, just for the sake of the preview podcast, so if you don't want to be spoiled... You know, just fast forward a few minutes. It's only going to be a couple minutes here. Again, this first look thing is not a preview of the season by any means. It's just a scene or two we're going to see next week. And I don't want to get too far into it because we'll no doubt talk a lot more about these scenes in next week's podcast. But it does serve to confirm a few things we've been talking about already here. Um, when this scene is shot, it's June, the end of June, really. And the Americans, including Rick, Marty, Craig, Jack and Alex, are all in Michigan on a video conference with the Canadians on the team. It's here where Dr. Spooner points out an area of the swamp he is interested in looking more closely at, which he basically refers to as the southeastern corner of the swamp. If you look back at the shot from the trailer with the crane and the excavator that I mentioned earlier, that seems to be right where Spooner is talking here. So we're going to get a good look at that. During this video call, Spooner also mentions using what he calls a new sonar rig. And that seems to be what we might be looking at in the trailer when he is on Tony Sampson's boat with Alex Lagina staring at some sort of sonar screen. We also have another confirmation of Gary Drayton's involvement this year. Yay, it will be interesting to see if they delve much into what these guys needed to do to comply with the travel restrictions, including Gary, who I think is based out of Florida. Either way, it's going to be a very different season for sure. Uh, now, that's all I want to mention about the previews and such. So let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to be hearing from you. Let's start off with a message on Twitter from our friend Jeff, who writes, I hope you'll address the most overlooked aspect of the show, Nolan's Cross. Remember the cross-shaped tunnel at Fortress of Louisburg? Uh, look at the proximity to the swamp and the paved structure. 
Nolan was a surveyor and thought it was the key. It's ideal because it's obviously a marker. If you know it's there, if you just stumble on the island, you'd never see it unless you were in the air or a surveyor. The tunnel is under the cross. They unloaded at the swamp. The money pit was not the location of the treasure. Jeff, you know, you're certainly not the first person to think Nolan's cross held the key to all this. We'd have to give that credit to the cross's namesake, right? Fred Nolan himself. Uh, I'm a little dubious about the connection you make here with the Fortress of Louisbourg. Uh, I'm not sure one informs the other too much since the applications really are so different. But I see your point. With Nolan's uh, Tom Nolan's involvement uh, with the Laginas and their partners marking the end of this decades-old uh, Nolan Blankenship feud and a new partnership between the Laginas and the Nolans, perhaps we're going to see the team focus a bit more on the cross in the future. I mean, why even bring Nolan and that whole family into the fold if you're not going to get access to the cross and really explore that area and see what you can find out? Another thought I have on the cross comes from the reading of uh, James McQuiston's book, Oak Island Endgame. I mentioned this in our interview with him last week, but it bears repeating here. The McQuiston theory revolves around a large treasure stolen in Scotland by a man named Al Strachan. I'm just going to give you, you know, the basics. During the middle of the 19th century, the land where the cross now stands was owned by one of Strachan's distant relatives, a man named James Strachan. Now, in my mind, the explanation for James Strachan owning that land seems much harder to write off as coincidence at this point than not. This guy knew what was happening on Oak Island, and he knew the possible connections to his family's history. And get this. Now, Mr. McQuiston tells me the research on this James Strachan character is not complete, but when I emailed him today to ask him more about this guy, he wrote back this incredible little tidbit. Quote, The Strachan family provided some of the funding and leadership for the creation of the National Bank of Nova Scotia, now called Scotia Bank, right around this time. Then at the turn of the 20th century, all underwriters of the bank were financial institutions except for one individual, a guy named John Strachan. I mean, come on. <laughs> and this dude just happens to own Nolan's Cross, such an incredibly important family on the on, on Nova Scotia. Um, and he owns these lots during the time when the Truro Company was hacking away on the island just a few yards away. <laughs> and you're trying to tell me he wasn't somehow involved or didn't know or wasn't there for a reason? Just doesn't seem right to me. And now, again, I'm connecting dots. I understand I always uh, criticize people for doing that, but these dots seem connected in my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. As I've said here numerous times, there is a lot we don't know about the early history of Oak Island and the treasure hunt. Researchers like James McQuiston are still uncovering a lot of lost clues to all of this, and we're really getting a better understanding every day. So needless to say, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Jeff. It is now time to examine Nolan's cross in the surrounding area much more closely than anyone not named Nolan has ever done before. Thanks for the message, Jeff. Now let's get to an email from Daniel who writes, I would like to hear your thoughts on something that occurred to me, but apparently no one else. <laughs> when they discovered the blue clay in the swamp and it was brought up, this may have been a clay pit mine. I immediately thought of a theory that was brought up in the early season uh, and never mentioned again. It was the theory that the Mayans traveled to Oak Island to mine blue clay. Later on, when they were being decimated by the Spanish, they returned to hide most of their precious treasure. The Mayan blue clay is a bit of a mystery in itself. 
I read maybe a year ago or so that they might have found a source for this blue clay in northern Georgia. Think about it. If archaeologists think the Mayans may have traveled some 400 miles inland in the southern United States, which at the time would have been an arduous journey even if they made a beeline to the exact spot, never mind wandering around endlessly in the forest searching for clay. So it is not a stretch to say they may have sailed up along the coast all the way to Oak Island in search of this blue clay. This clay held importance in their society, yet no one seems to know where this exact pigment comes from. They have done chemical analysis on various clay to determine if it is the source. It seems like it would be a good idea to test the Oak Island clay to see if it could be the source. Daniel, I've read a lot on this theory. Um, sometimes this, the theory, or at least you know what we would say similar theories, involves the Aztecs or the Incas rather than the Mayans. Uh, like I said, all three theories are a little different, but they often get clumped together anyway because they involve what I would call similar trains of thought in how the theory plays out. And you could see why these three civilizations might become the subject of popular Oak Island theories, right? Besides the blue clay, there is this logical conclusion that these folks needed to find some place far off the grid to hide their riches and most important religious artifacts or something like that from the always prying eyes of the ever-plundering Spanish. I don't want to get too far into the details here, but let me say this. These theories make for some great reading. <laughs> you have swashbuckling Spanish bad guys like Columbus and Cortez, great mysterious ancient figures like Montezuma, and tons and tons of gold that seems to have vanished into thin air. My feelings on the clay, however, is that perhaps we should be talking about maybe the Mi'kmaq first or even some of the other native tribes that are much closer to Oak Island than the Mayans. What do I know? I guess I think the Mayan theory is at least as plausible in my mind as the Knights Templar, <laughs> maybe even more so when you really sit down and think about it. Daniel, let's see what the Swamp Doctor tells us this season. I think we're going to get some analysis here, and I think you're on to something. I'm not sure it'll lead to the Mayans, but I think there's a clue here. I like where you're going with this. We need to find out more about this clay. Thanks for the email. Let's go to Mike on Facebook who writes, I love your podcast. I'm a big fan of the Curse of Oak Island. This season, I would like to see them dig in the hatch. Zena said there was a hatch at the other end of the island. I would like to see more on that. He's referring to Zena Halpern. Zena's hatch. It's a great idea, man. Uh, you know, Mike, when I was thinking about what the team could do, if they really were limited in how much time they could spend digging on the island and how much heavy machinery work they could really get done due to the travel restrictions and that sort of thing. This is one of the places my mind went. I mean, after Xena's passing, and the show showed us a lot of this, Rick brought home literally tons, entire truckloads worth of research materials that Miss Halpern had collected over her decades of working on her Oak Island theory. Considering this research... Rick's personal connection to Xena's legacy and the History Channel's love for all things Templar, I think <laughs> going back to this idea, going back to Xena Halpern's theory and where, where it could be applied and the dig and all that is really all but inevitable for the show. So I, I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Not sure it's this year, but it's coming. Thank you, Mike. Now let's turn to an email from our friend Steve in Ohio who writes... With respect to Season 8 of The Curse of Oak Island, here are some guesses. Because of COVID-19, there will be fewer visits to people like Carmen Legg and Dr. Krista Brousseau. They pulled their coffer dam from Smith's Cove, which, by the way, is mislabeled on Google Maps as Sheerdom Cove. I know, it's weird, right? Uh, 
So probably not a lot of activity in the cove. I did read on the Oak Island from the other side of the Causeway Facebook page that a convoy of cofferdam materials crossed the causeway. If it's not headed to Smith's Cove, where is it headed? My guess would be the swamp, but maybe they finally plan to explore the offshore back door if they've identified such a candidate location. Something like excavating the Daniel McGinnis or Samuel Ball property seems worth effort, worthy effort, I'm sorry, as they left many questions unanswered based on some of their findings. Is there really a hidden treasure or a hidden treasure seller, he says. There'll be a lot of Zoom-based theory interviews. I think you got that right. And they may begin the big dig in the money pit area. Just some guesses. I'll keep a I'll keep <laughs> I'll be keeping a checklist. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. All right, Steve. Uh, uh, you're on record with some great predictions here. Uh, let me just agree with you on a bit uh, of the, some of the things that you mentioned about the cofferdam materials. Yes, from multiple sources, I have too been told that there has not been a cofferdam built again at Smith's Cove or anywhere along the beach, really. Yet the very same materials, and I think the same company that were used to create that cofferdam, along with a huge crane to put them in place, were brought to the island. I I believe, if I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, that this was during the latter part of the summer. The swamp is a great guess for where it could be used. I also thought maybe the cave-in pit area or some sort of... Um, you know, hole that they're digging where they might be getting flooding would be a great place where these materials could be deployed. Or even that spot, uh, you know, between the cave in pit and the Smith's Cove where they were calling the uplands last year. Uh, but now that you mention it, Steve, I, th- I really do think the swamp makes tons of sense, especially that corner of the swamp I mentioned earlier, the one the swamp doctor wants to explore. And having him there putting a lot of resources and money into you know, facilitating his theories really seems like a smart way to go. Being so close to the beach, you know, that corner that he's talking about, that southeastern corner, might be harder to keep dry, so maybe these materials are helpful. All great guesses, Steve. Thanks again. Always great to hear from you, man. Uh, Let's pause for a short break so I can catch my breath, and we'll be back with more of your predictions and your questions. Okay, let's turn back to Facebook for a message from Claude who writes, and this is a question, not a prediction for season eight, but you'll see where I'm going here. How come some of these artifacts containing 13 branches when actually paused and counted have more than 13 branches? (laughs) Am I the only one to notice this? Claude, what I can guarantee you is there are quite a few listeners right now shaking their heads in agreement after hearing your question. I have pointed this out myself in the past, and I honestly have absolutely no explanation for you. Best case scenario is that this was a result of bad editing, and maybe we, the viewers, were not seeing the actual artifact we were hearing the crew talking about. But really, that's kind of the start of the conspiracy rabbit hole, I guess. I just don't want to start digging right now. Let me say this. You're not wrong. The 13th branch tree symbol, which I've explained before, and I'm not going to get too much into it here. Uh, is connected with what the show calls the Founding Fathers Theory. That theory got a lot of coverage around, I believe, the end of season six or so. And if I'm not mistaken, it was even named the number one Oak Island theory in their little top 25 theory show that they produced before, I believe, last season. Let's see if they go back to it this year. I'd be stunned if they don't. And perhaps we can get a better look at these 13 branches. If my memory serves, there was even a scene (laughs) that we saw 
where we watched somebody counting the branches and yet the count didn't match up to what we were seeing. It was very weird. I'm not ready to, to, to come up with any conspiracy here, but what I'll say is this. Like I said, they gave this theory a lot of credence. Um, they gave it a lot of publicity. I'd be stunned if we don't go back to it. So I'm putting this in the preview here because I think we're gonna. If we don't, it says a little something about how this research has gone with regards to this theory. And maybe we need to have a new Top 25 Theory show. Thank you again, Claude. Let's go to Mike Q, who wrote us on Facebook. He also sent us an email. So I'm going to put them both together here and into one message. He writes, Don't have many expectations for Season 8, as last season was a bit uneventful. Seems like each of the last few seasons we have been baited with what in the preview looks like real progress and turns out to be totally taken out of context. I don't have any animosity for the searchers. It is the TV producers who disappoint. One theory I would suggest is that the natural sinkholes that occur on the island could have been put to use by whoever did the early depositing. There are natural sinkholes around the world that were adapted in the past as elaborate sanctuaries. I, like you, consider myself a skeptic. Actually, the geologist's conclusion of the existence of a sinkhole, not a man-made money pit, is really not a theory breaker for me. Sinkholes and caves have been utilized by man for about as long as we have existed. There are cases elsewhere where men have modified these geological natural occurring features. I think that makes more sense than the huge excavation of the island by a small group of seafaring pilots, pirates, Templars, or whoever. Mike, uh, you're not alone in your mistrust of the producers. I'm not going to let that, that little comment go there. As evidenced by our last email, right, about the 13-branch tree symbol. Nor are you alone when you were disappointed with um, Season 7. For a lot of people, after all the great finds and really cool things from Season 5 and 6, all the work in, uh, in Smith's Cove and the Templar Cross and all that, I could see how one would think of Season 7 as something of a letdown. I'm not sure I agree I'm saying that myself, uh, but I, can, I certainly see where you're coming from. And also, I'm with you when you say that the sinkhole theory isn't a deal breaker. It's not for me at all. Certainly not at this point. Mike sent me a great article with an example of this theory he's talking about being put to use. I mean, if you started digging down on Oak Island, why wouldn't you use the geology you find there to your advantage in what you're doing? Of course you would. That seems only plausible enough to me, right? Uh, anyway, thank you for reaching out, Mike. Hopefully, Season 8 will defy your expectations and will really offer something interesting for us to discuss. Let's go to an email from Tom who writes, I also enjoy how the Oak Island team takes a holistic approach in their attempt to determine what actually happened on the island. To your knowledge, has hydro... hydro <laughs> You'll see where I'm going here. Hydrological modeling ever been explored by the team in determining what the island and surrounding area may have looked like going back to the date range of the artifacts discovered? Hydrological modeling would provide sea level estimates based off the area geology and give historical estimation of the island's size to include surrounding areas. Hope to hear from you very respectfully, Tom. Tom, as I'm forced to point out way too often on this show, I am just a simple podcaster. And if I was to pretend that I could somehow speak with any authority or any knowledge on the process of hydrological modeling, which I can't even pronounce... <laughs> and what this thing could tell us, 
I, I would really be doing you and all of the listeners a giant disservice, and I would just be making really a fool of myself in the process. I mean, I, I kind of have a basic understanding of what you're talking about here, uh, which I believe is kind of the same idea used to understand and predict things like um, where the Mississippi River might flood or potential beach erosion issues, you know, that kind of thing. It certainly seems like something worth exploring and the kind of thing we could get in this season, especially in terms of better understanding the potential of what we really could have, you know, what really could have been done on the island and when. But alas, this is way out of my league. I have, uh, you know, let me put it this way. If we have any listeners out there who can better answer this for Tom, please let me know. I'm very sorry, Tom. Keep writing because I'm not going to let this go. I have spent a few hours trying to get you an answer (laughs) before I concluded that this was just out of my league. Um, So I'm going to continue to look into it. I come back to this at some point or maybe just write you directly. And if we get, you know, keep listening. If we get any good answers from from, uh, our listeners, I'll, I'll keep you informed of all that. Let's turn to an email from Andy in the UK who writes, let me just start off this email by saying thanks for all the off-season podcasts you've done. I bought the Pirate Hunter audiobook and became fascinated straight away, never related to someone more than Captain Kidd. I'll spare you the details. Uh, Just quickly here, Andy's referring to the book by Richard Zacks, The Pirate Hunter, The True Story of Captain Kidd, a fantastic biography on Captain Kidd. Anyway, he continues. The Sinkhole podcast episode was great too, though it made me realize how much of the Oak Island obsession I had caught because though I recognize the science and that your guest clearly knew what he was talking about, I still want to believe the Templar treasure is buried beneath their feet. Probably a good thing I don't have money to invest in the treasure hunt myself. As far as predictions go, I think we'll maybe see some more supernatural slash curse episodes of the Curse of Oak Island this season. With everything going on in the world, I think the comparison to the curse of King Tutankhamun and the Oak Island team vowing for a bigger excavation triggering the world events will be too much for Prometheus to refuse. I remember reading about, I think it was, Dan Henske's experience on Oak Island involving ghosts and ghouls, thinking the money pit was the entrance to hell. So let's get spooky this season. I'd like to see the team find a Templar Mi'kmaq battle flag uh, in the spoils from the underground, sparking the debate as to what this means. But the thing I want to see the most would be Jack finding a pair of golden wings while panning the spoils from one of the boreholes. The team would be amazed that gold has been found in the spoils and they would be getting them examined. The experts would tell them they match the description of the angels that sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) This would be undeniable proof the Templar treasure is below and would be world-changing news for sure. Thanks, Dave. Love the podcast and look forward to hearing from your reaction and everyone else's predictions going forward. And if I'm right, you owe me a beer. Andy, no problem. Uh, Hopefully I can get to the UK and we can uh, get you that beer. Uh, Great email. You really got into the spirit here. I love this. Um, And folks, if you don't know what he's referring to when he's talking about the flag in that email, do yourself a favor and just Google this Grand Council flag of the Mi'kmaq Nation and you'll find a flag that features what can only be described as a Templar cross right in the middle. No kidding. The local First Nations tribe, the only people who would have been there to meet the Templars had they actually journeyed to what we now call Oak Island in Nova Scotia. This same group of people 
have as their national symbol a Templar cross. (laughs) Is it a coincidence? If it is, it's one of the most amazing coincidences in all of history. Let's say it that way. You know, Andy, a few weeks ago, I would have said your spooky Oak Island theory would be just the sort of thing we might get as a replacement for actual digging and working if it was indeed disrupted that much by the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, But I'm starting to think now that the team did a lot more work than we might have once thought possible for this crazy year. I agree. We're going to get lots of these theory sessions, and yours is a particularly fun idea. But how about this? Maybe what we need is for you to um, flush this theory out a bit more. Send me in some details, uh, your complete theory, and maybe we can read it and uh, discuss it here on the podcast. We could call it something like Andy's theory of how Oak Island caused COVID-19. Get on that, man. And cheers. Hopefully we'll get that beer someday. Let's turn to Sam on Facebook who writes for his wish list simply this. They'll find something that rewrites history. Quite a lofty goal you have there, Sam. Let's hope you're right. No reason to pursue a goal that isn't lofty, and that's what they're trying to do. So let's turn to Steve from the UK, uh, who also sent in an email that reads, Hello, Dave. Just a quick word to say thanks for all the hard work on the podcast. I find it to be fair, balanced, and grounded. and I always go away feeling that, at the very least, I have a few new points to think over. Thank you for the kind words, sir. As for predictions for the new series, one, I have a feeling that exploratory work will take place with regards to the big dig concept that I've that was spoken about at the end of the season. However, I feel that this will lead to the discovery that the workings over the years have destabilized the area of the money pit to the point where it is really not viable. I'm re- I really hope that I'm wrong, completely wrong about this. Two, the cave-in pit is going to turn out to be far more important to the story than previously thought. And three, there will be more investigative work done on the other drumlin and that more underground workings will be found there. Now, what I'd like to see. One, follow-ups on items we haven't heard heard of for a while, even if just in brief to clarify their provenance or update any new findings on them, such as the jeweled brooches. Two, less repetition, fewer out-of-place reaction shots and poorly placed teaser shots, and shows that don't tie up with later episodes. Three, a 3D-style map of the underground workings as far as can be ascertained that is easy to see on screen, one that could be rotated and zoomed as they discuss things to give us a better spatial orientation. This shouldn't be too difficult, at least for the Lagina Lagina workings anyway. Best wishes to you and yours, and here's to more podcast episodes and seasons of the show. Steve, this is a great email, and I want to take them, what you have here, almost point by point. Let's start with the top um, with your predictions. The first is on the big dig. This is the fear, right, that the ground is just too unstable for the type of heavy machinery and the kind of work that's going to be done here. But it might also be that in the long run, the only way to deal with that instability and really excavate everything that's down there is to employ such a big dig. Now, it may be one that's just too big, but who knows? I'd be stunned if this wasn't talked about a lot more at some point in the season, probably towards the end of the season. We might turn to this again in a war room session, Uh, but you know, as I've said many times here on the show, I've been stunned before by these guys, uh, so you just never know. 
Moving on, the cave-in pit, which you mentioned in your second part there, um, has to at least tell us something, right? Uh, either about the geology or whatever work was done in the area. Again, it could be a naturally forming phenomenon, but the fact that it sits right on a direct line between Smith's Cove and the Money Pit makes it at least something we need to learn more about. And nobody really has done that. There's been some poking around there, but not any real excavation and real scientific approach to it. My guess is you're correct here too, because from some of the scenes we've seen here, it looks like this is an area that's going to be examined. And your final prediction, I'm not too clear on, uh, are you saying they're going to explore the western side of the island? Is that the other drumlin you're referring to? If so, I'm not sure that prediction is going to stand up, at least not for this year. Let's see. Now, onto your wish list. Following up on items they found in past seasons <laughs> is not something they like to do on this show, to say the least. What they like to do with items that are seemingly forgotten about is show us the initial reactions from the team and experts that makes the item sound as interesting as it possibly can, and then basically ignore it, or at best mention in passing, how those initial determinations end up being pretty much incorrect. This exact thing has happened on multiple occasions on the show, and we have discussed it over and over again on this podcast. So if you do see the team go back to an artifact found in a previous season, it will only be because they have found more evidence of its mysteriousness or, or you know, that sort of thing. It's never going to be or almost never going to be the point out that whoever the expert was that told us something about it ended up in the long run being completely wrong. You know what I mean? Like we've we've seen these scenes where we've been given a providence or an origin or a dating of something, and then we have found through maybe a passing mention by Maddie Blake or on, you know, some expert online that these were incorrect. And it just so happens to be that we never hear from this thing again. Think of the Roman pilot, folks. We've never gone back to examine a Roman artifact. Why? Because it probably wasn't a Roman artifact. Correcting the record apparently doesn't make for interesting television. And like I said, this has happened many times, folks, on multiple occasions over the years. So I'm not just spewing out some internet conspiracy theory here about Prometheus. On this front, they're guilty as charged. I'm sorry to say that your second one about the less repetition, fewer out-of-place reaction shots and poorly placed teaser shots teaser shots is a pipe dream, my friend. I hate to tell you that. Uh, my wife always points out how much nodding is done. She likes to count how many scenes we get of somebody nodding. Uh, this is how Prometheus does business, and I can't see that changing anytime soon. It's something you just have to learn to get past. You know what I mean? Let me put it like this. My wife and I always fight about Bob Dylan. I love him. She can't stand him. His songs to me are incredible and they're timeless, but she just can't get past the sound of his voice. I always tell her, just let it flow over you. Enjoy the song for what it is. Don't worry about the singer. Sing it to yourself. The same idea applies here. If we do our best to get past all this silliness, all the nodding, all that kind of crazy stuff, it still is an incredibly watchable television show. But it ain't ever going to change, my friend. It's just never going to change. And finally, oh boy, a 3D style map of the underground workings. And one you don't have to be a geologist to understand. Ugh. I can only dream 
<laughs> especially if they could put it on their website for all of us fans to sort of obsess over for hours and hours from your lips to Rick and Marty's ears, my friend. What a great idea. And let's conclude with a great message from Ian on Facebook who writes, lighthearted predictions. One, they won't find any treasure. Two, they'll dig some big holes where they think there is treasure. Three, they will find some artifacts of interest like a bit of wood or a nail. Four, they'll get some something dated and it'll be a significant date over the last X hundred years. Five, they will do a random piece on Templar history. <laughs> Six, they'll do a sentimental piece on one of the treasure hunters now past. Seven, they will invite a couple of guests who will tell them exactly where the treasure is, but it won't be there. Eight, at the end of every episode, they do the exciting next episode reveal, but it'll just be a piece of wood or a nail. Nine, they will question whether they should carry on, just one more hole, but in fact, dig five. <laughs> Ten, we will watch every episode and enjoy them and hope they find some treasure, even though they won't. Bonus, they will say it's learning the history of Oak Island, that is, the treasure, but we all know it's the gold bars in the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant we want to see coming up from the mud. Well, Ian, honestly, I think there's no better way to conclude our little preview than with that. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Diggin' Oak Island podcast. Next week, we're going to be talking about episode one of season eight of The Curse of Oak Island. Very exciting stuff. If nothing else, it really is certainly a bright light in an otherwise dark time for many of us just to be able to watch and talk about our favorite show again. Please subscribe to the show um, anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you do enjoy the show, I ask you to please take the time, rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and they offer you the ability to do that. It helps to get the word out on us. Um, my heartfelt thanks to everyone who has done so already. The five-star ratings are all very, very flattering. I thank you so much for the kind words and for helping us out. You can also follow the show on Facebook. We are at Digging Oak Island. Twitter, the same thing. Give us a like there. Be much appreciated. It's a great way to follow along with the show and to connect with other fans of the podcast and of The Curse of Oak Island. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so via email at digginoakisland at gmail.com. And I know I've gotten a couple of emails in the last couple of weeks from a few listeners that I didn't answer here because they weren't directly related to season eight. Some of the ones that I talked about here also weren't directly related but i kind of shoehorned them in because they were in my mind i have a couple waiting here that i am going to answer in the future so just be patient with those and i promise i'll get to them uh coming up in the next couple of episodes so until we speak again i'm dave mcbride thank you for listening to digging oak island